that transition was really, really hard for me because as a student, you're not prepared to enter the job market. Mentally, it's really hard to discover that you're not protected, you're not in a cocoon anymore. And you discover that nobody's waiting for you. There is no doors that's going to be open for you. So that moment, it was really a lesson of humility uh, for me. And it forced me to be really resilient and to say, okay, I have to start here. Doesn't matter because I have to make a living. Um, how can you use that experience to leverage the next one? Welcome to or welcome back to Fashion Carrick Stories. My name is Lucas Silva Edwards. I am a career strategist and executive coach. My role is to help you design a successful life and career in one of the most glamorous industries on the planet, but also one of the most competitive. With more than 10 years of experience in the fashion and luxury industry here in Paris, France, and thanks to my large diversity of experience from retail, wholesale, product development, or fashion editor, I have acquired an inside of you of what it takes to succeed in groups like LVMH, Kering, or Chanel, but also in fashion tech startups or small designer brands. For that reason, I interview each week fashion professionals at different stages of their career in order to decode their best practices, tactics, and strategies. However, this week, I have decided to experiment with the format and be on the other side of the mic. To help me, I have invited Lala Jonah to interview me and ask me any questions that she believes are most relevant for all of you. I have no idea what the questions are and where this conversation is going to go. Now, you probably wonder who is Lala Jonah. Lala is a Venezuelan-American painter and video artist born in Denver, Colorado. After receiving a, a Bachelor of Art, Lala Jonah has since published and exhibited her work internationally. Her videos and paintings exploring digital spaces and the female gaze were shown at the Cité des Arts in Paris. Her work explored the monstrous feminine, alternate realities, and the void of the digital world. The totality of her work contributes and exists within a fictional universe and mythology established online at www.paysonthefat.com and then recontextualized in the physical world through paint, canvas, performances and sculpture. And she's based in Paris, France. You can discover her work on her Instagram at LalaJonahOfficial. What makes this episode so special is that LalaJona is also my better half and she has been sharing my life for the past 12 years. She has been my rock and my partner in crime in all my projects, and I don't see a better person to interview me. And with no further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Lala and Lucas. Psst. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. Don't be shy, hit those five stars and show us your love in the comment section. Hi everyone, I'm Lala Jonah. I'm a painter and a video artist living in Paris, France. And I'm here interviewing Lucas Edward Silva from the podcast Fashion Career Stories. I've known Lucas for 12 years and I met him in Rio de Janeiro while we were both studying abroad there during our inter or during our university days. And uh, since then I've had the pleasure of witnessing his personal and professional growth over the years. 
Um, if I must say, I am the one who knows Lucas the best. So uh, let's see how this interview goes today. Let's have fun. All <laughs> Thank right. Thank you very much, Lala. <laughs> it's so cool to, to, to have you. It's, it's, I love uh, your introduction because uh, before we start, uh, let's say it's true that you know me the, the best and, uh, and you have been uh, near, uh, near to me in this project uh, since day one, since the beginning. So I'm really, really happy to, to explore this, uh, this episode and see where, where it's going. Yeah, it should be fun. It's a fun little experiment. Let's see how things go. So, yeah. uh, so starting out, I was, I was wondering if you could just, for everyone that's listening, if you could just introduce yourself, uh, tell everyone a little bit about you, where you're from, what you do. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so I'm Lucas, um, French born, uh, from Colombian parents. Uh, I've been in, in Paris my entire life. Um, and um, let's say how to introduce myself. One of the things that I like to, to always say that creativity has been kind of a, a red thread all along my, my life, uh, especially because my family, my father, uncle, mother, they all like uh, in some way are really creative. So it's been something near to my heart uh, for a long time. And, uh, and that's why I decided to, to work in the fashion industry. Uh, so uh, I've studied at the Institut Français de la Mode. Um, I've done internships and, uh, and work experience as a product uh, development uh, uh, in leather goods and shoes uh, at Lanvin, at Dior. Um, also, I had like uh, some retail experience at Fendi. And, uh, but I also work in, in so many different uh, areas of the, let's say, fashion and luxury because I worked at Orient Express, the luxury train, and I helped develop that, uh, that project. Um, and lately, uh, for maybe almost five years, I was the menswear fashion editor at Le Bon Marché when I was in charge of uh, helping the buying team select, let's say, the, the best uh, brands for our assortment to really create uh, what, what would be the best assortment for men's, uh, men's customers. And at that moment, I had the chance to be at the heart of the fashion industry, going to fashion weeks, meeting designers, uh, looking for the new and upcoming brands, traveling, uh, yeah, let's say around the world, like uh, New York, Milan, London, even I had the chance to go to Taiwan uh, to look for the, all those little brands. And uh, so let's say that I have an extensive uh, experience in the industry. And today, I am a, I'm a coach, I'm a career coach, and I work uh, part-time at the Institut Français de la Mode, um, where now I coach the, you know, the, the students to help them uh, get into, into this industry and give them all like the, the strategies, tactics that uh, I have acquired uh, along the years and learn from others as well uh, to, to be sure that uh, you know, they enter and, and create their, their, let's say, their career strategy and, and become successful in this industry. Wow, that's a that's a very impressive career um, trajectory and story. Um, I say that. I mean, obviously, you can hear from my accent. I'm not from France. I'm from Colorado, and coming from Colorado, hearing Paris, New York, Milan—that's mm -hmm. incredible from that point of view. And and I want to get more into that. But first, I want to go back to what you said earlier. You were talking about being uh, Colombian and French. You you mentioned a little bit about your parents. Um, I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit more about your parents, their story? Yeah, sure. So, if we go back to the the family and the parents, we have to mention first my uncle. 
because my uncle, he's the one, the trailblazer for the family. He arrived here in Europe around 25 with, uh, let's say, 100 uh, francs or dollars <laughs> at the time. Uh, he arrived to Switzerland and then he arrived to Paris. And, and from there, my parents uh, came a few years uh, later. Uh, so I, I, I was born here uh, and then they for reason of uh, life they, they split up and uh, my dad uh, went back to Colombia my mom uh, stayed here and again my dad come back so it was a it was a let's say a mix uh, between uh, being in France being in in, in Colombia and um, and what it's really important for for me because of that it's uh, the fact that my uncle and my my mom and and dad they, they decided to really uh, come to here to uh, Europe for different reasons. Uh, my dad was really for learning about creativity because he's a painter. He wanted to study the art, study the masters, study the techniques like that. And so he gave me all that uh, mindset about like what is mastery, what are the beauty, uh, how to look for details in, in, in the different, let's say, art forms, uh, even in the clothes and things like that. And my mom, she 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 decided to stay uh, even my, after they separated um, to give me a better education. So different reason, but both of them uh, transmitted me, like uh, provided me with things that are really really important to me today. And uh, and so as I was saying, my mom really to give me like a better education. Um, she dis- she wanted to become a designer, so the fashion side also come from uh, from her. And um, and the, the education is so important for, for me that that's why I decided to to, to study until the, the master degree. And that's why I think today as well, I like helping students uh, become who they want to, to be because I know education, it, it's so it's so important. So yeah, the three, the uncle, the trailblazer, my mom, the education, and my dad, the, the creativity and the art, that's kind of uh, what makes me to today. Wow, that's a that's a great trio, and um, and the fact that they came from another country. Do you think that that has changed the way that you live your life? You've lived your life, or maybe had has had some sort of effect on you as well, growing up in France. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like as uh, any person who is the first generation uh, of immigrant, um, you're always like uh, in the hyphen in between, and. Um, and for that side, so you never really feel totally French. You never feel you feel totally Colombian. Uh, you know the classic is like you go to Colombian, you go to Colombia, and you are French. And when you are in France, you are more Colombian in some way. That's the perception that people uh, give you. And uh, but for me, it's always been um, something super interesting because here in France, being Colombian, it's uh, almost being exotic. It's always different. You you don't meet so many. Colombians, uh, at least were, uh, during my time. So it was always a little bit different. So it, it, it was, uh, it was uh, I like that. And I guess that's why also like, in terms of closing, in terms of style, you always have that uh, will to kind of uh, be a little bit different. It's part of me. And at the same time, it brings some type of um, syndrome, imposter syndrome, let's say, because uh, you know, the, being in France, you always have that, uh, uh, let's say, hierarchy of class in some way. What it's the beauty, what it's beauty, um, the the type of studies that you do. It's um, there is a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, um, 
things that you need to have done to be accepted by society, especially the more higher, higher you go in the, in the society. Uh, so there is always that pressure to, to go to the right school, to do the right studies, to choose the right type of uh, you know, uh, yeah, college and things like that. Um, so it's always been something like um, how to say, okay, how do I become French in some way? Okay, I have the nationality, but how I do become French? And I think uh, my answer was uh, to work in fashion because it was my way to kind of participate to something that uh, I was really interested with, that it represents in some way the French culture that uh, give a, an, a, a worldwide aura to, to, to France. And uh, so that's why for, uh, that's my way to be French. It's to, part, to, to, to participate in the fashion industry. That's so, that's so interesting because um, you described your uncle um, as a trailblazer, you know, coming to, to France with just a few francs and making a life here. But I just think that's an incredible that there's this trailblazer um, in you and, and also in, in your uncle. And, um, and it's only going, you know, for what, what you love, like going towards a passion. And that's, that's really what's guiding you. Um, I did, I did think about as well, um, where, because we, we talked about where you're from and everything, where, did, where did you grow up? What were, what were some of the, your first homes and, and things like that to, to kind of think about what's inspired you to, to be the man who you are today? So I grew up in Paris in the 11th arrondissement near to, to Bastille for those who, who knows Paris. And, um, and I think what inspired me a lot is, is the fact that Paris, it's a, you know, cosmopolitan city. Uh, you have the entire world at your, at your disposal. You meet a lot of people from different countries, different colors, different religions, uh, everywhere it's here. So you have. Uh, at a very young age, an, an openness uh, to to that. Um, the other thing is the Paris. It's well known. We, we talked about fashion, but for creation, for beauty. So you have the history that it's embedded in the city. Uh, of course, you have all those beautiful monuments in Paris. So you feel history. You feel the weight of French uh, history uh, everywhere. Mm, the fact that uh, France always invested a lot in uh, in the arts, so a lot of museums, a lot of shows, everything was uh, available for me at a very young age. Uh, even school provides you with a lot of opportunities to discover all of that. So let's say culture has been a, a, a backbone for me uh, until uh, up to, until today. And and regarding fashion. It was also something that because my mom appreciated, we used to go uh, in the Marais, uh, you know, do some shopping, the Saturdays or things like that, or just work around. And so you see all the, the you know, the stores, uh, the department stores, uh, even for Christmas, you used to go to those department stores and you see them becoming alive, the trends changing. Um, you see ads and magazines everywhere. So... At the end, it's just like you absorb all of that and that's become your, let's say, your norm. So I think I would say I'm a Parisian product because of, of that. That's fantastic. Do you think that Paris has even influenced, let's say, like your, your move, I guess, to go into fashion? Is that what you're saying? 
Definitely, because even let's say when you are in a Parisian school, um, so you have people in high school, for example, you have people come from all the different uh, uh, backgrounds uh, with different means in terms of money and things like that. And like always, like in a, a high school and let's say during the teenage years, that's when you try to define a little bit your identity, who you are. And of, of course, clothing, it's part of that uh, uh, expression. Mm. But by being in Paris, so you see a lot of different styles, a, a lot of different brands, uh, you see different type of groups. Mm. So at that moment, you, you're exposed to a lot, of, uh, a lot of things. So definitely that, that moment in my life was really important because it's at that moment I, I, I was really curious about why pe how people express who they are through the clothes, why we are, let's say, attracted to people who wear certain type of clothes, certain type of brands. Um, what that, does it say about us, about our means, also about the type of uh, surroundings that we have, what type of groups we belong to? And it was really, really interesting, that the, all of that. So I think because of that curiosity and all the options and all the people I've met in Paris, um, it created that... Um, that will to discover the fashion industry uh, from within. And were you were you able to to have at least some theories to some to answer some of those questions, like uh, why clothes attract us to certain people, or even why um, certain groups uh, wear certain clothes and, and things like that? At that time, not really, not not anything that I remember really specifically. Um, I think. The, it was just like you are attracted to some people, even in movies or things like that. You are attracted by some, yeah, some some clothes. Like the the memory that I come to mind at that moment, it's really like the the movies about uh, gangsters and uh, and uh, you know the Al Pacinos, the De Niro's, and all of that. And I always loved the suits. For me, it was like a, a man has a suit that's what they wear so I, I, when i was uh let's say younger um i was a kid i wanted well, later on i want to have a a, a suit a pinstripe suit uh, and things like that and um and for me it was more like a at that time at the teenagers it's like you try to become the person you want to 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 be with the means and uh and so it was interesting to for me to see who the different person wants to become, let's say. So if you're more and more into hip hop, or if you're a woman, you're more like, a, uh, let's say, sexy clothes or tight clothes. Who, what kind of woman do you want to become, or at least exper experience to, to become? If you're more like, let's say, uh, more rock, more, uh, if you are in some type of music, who, what do you trying to express? So it, it was that that interested me. It was like, Okay, who those person wants to 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 be by wearing those clothes? That's so that is interesting because I would say even you know, of course we still do that today, um, and it makes me think about even you know people online now. Uh, we're we're we try on avatars and things like that. Different, you try to be different people through online mm -hmm. avatars or um, fake Instagrams or profiles and all that stuff. And, and so I guess before all of that, we were just trying on different clothes, different identities, but in real life. Um, but that's, 
That's very interesting. And and so what would you say are topics that introduce you, or what are the topics in fashion that interest you today? Oh, today? Mm, today, I'm not so much about the, the trends per se. Um, I think what I love about, about fashion is because it's a laboratory. And it's a laboratory that makes all the other arts, everything one in one way or another, gather in the fashion industry because it's an industry that it's really powerful, that touch everybody, and it's worldwide. Everybody wears clothes, and um, and you have different positioning between from you know the fast fashion to the most luxurious uh, brands to the niche designers to the more technical brands. Um, so. There is a huge diversity of uh, type of brands that interact with uh, artists, musicians, uh, technologies, um, type of business, business models, let's say. Um, so fashion for me, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a laboratory. So that's, let's say, that's what interests me um, today. And of course, um, I say I'm not so interesting by the trends per se, but what I'm interesting is about what the designers and the brand are trying to to express, because it's a, in my opinion, it's a way to kind of take the pulse of the world, because uh, fashion weeks it's every let's say every three or four months uh, if it's men, women, and thing like that. So basically, every every three or four months, you're able to see the fashion the fashion week all around the world, the different brands, and because the designer they are inspired by what's happening around them, about their personal history, where they are in the world, where they want to go. Um, you're able to see basically what's happening in the world, what's important, what's resonate with the world. Uh, not through media or like, uh, you know, a TV show or, or something or news, let's say. You see it through the clothes, through the, um, the, the, everything is showcased, the, the, the runways, uh, the, yeah, everything. It's like a little show that encapsulates the pulse of the world at that specific moment. And I think that's super, super interesting. That's really beautiful how you how you talked about it as you know it's it's a way of getting a pulse on the world and seeing people create from um, what they're interpreting from what's going on around us or their own experiences. Is there are there any specific examples that you can think of that you're remembering? But the let's say lately one of the a brand named Coperny, for example was a, did a big uh, uh, like let's say break the break the internet. Uh, because they used um, technology to paint uh, to paint a dress directly on the on a on a model, but it was what was really interesting at that at, at that moment is because it was a reference about something that Alexander McQueen did before, so it was kind of the same I, I, idea. He used a, a mechanical arm, then they they, they kind of painted themselves. But what was interesting it's about the technology. It's about the the, how the dress change and, and evolve. Uh, in this fashion week, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, the, the Japanese brand Enrelage, uh, uh, they did kind of the, 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 the same. Mm, like it was a type of, uh, not a spray, but something that changed the, the color of the material uh, by 
I'm not sure how, how is it, but... Uh, UV light? Through the, yeah, the UV light or something like that. So there is that idea of, uh, of change and technology. Uh, the most famous one is the Belgian designer Iris van Erpen that always used 3D um, materials. So you see, you have that combination uh, of uh, technology, fashion and entertainment um, as well. Mm, one of my favorite designer, Rick Owens, Every time you never, like, you wonder what's going to be this time. And there is a period of his career that he's more extreme than others. Uh, but I remember, like, um, the when he used different type of models, he's always really edgy. Uh, one of my favorite is when the models were uh, holding each other upside down. Uh, so it was really, really unique. Um, you have, yeah, desi designers that's going to be really about, uh, let's say, sustainability, uh, circularity. So you see that more as well. So that's when you see like, okay, the world is going that direction. And you see the, the, the let's say, the pulse of the world that you, you see it in, in, in some of those, those designers that are interested by, by, by that. Mm, what else? No, I think more or less those are kind of the, the one I have on the top of my, my, my head. Um, probably also like Virgil Abloh uh, with Off-White um, and with Vuitton about, uh, you know, even uh, social justice. That's uh, that's a topic that uh, he brought into the fashion industry, especially because he has this aura and uh, he was really powerful at the time to be able to, to talk about it and be more uh, socially responsible uh, with his creations. So, um, yeah, I think those those are the ones that coming to me, top of my head. Well, I can really hear your, your passion um, when you talk about it. It's great. And and so could you tell me who is your favorite fashion designer? It could be maybe your favorite to wear and then like your favorite artistically. Um, I'm sure you have several. So, yeah, my uh, let's say the Rico Wentz, as I said, it's always been one. Um, I think what I love about it is he has an entire universe. The consistency of his style, it's, uh, it's pretty unique. He's more than 60 years old now, and he's still at top of his game. Mm, I love... When I see his show and when I had the opportunity to buy uh, some of his clothes, it's really like uh, I feel I'm transported somewhere else in a sci-fi movie or, you know, in a place with darkness, like, but at the same time, really beautiful, those lines, the cut of the clothes, the way they move. Um, what it says about you is, like, um, it's something really powerful and uh, directional. Um, there is a type of a sense of being a warrior with with his, his clothes, Um that that I love that uh, you know transport me when I uh, I see the shows when I even when I went to, with the Bon Marché buy his collection that was always one of my favorite place because you you discover yeah uh, an entire world and even the people over there it's almost like a cult even the the, the salesperson everybody is in Rico Wentz and you feel that you are maybe in some type of concert or cult so it's really amazing. Um, the other one that always been one of my favorites is the brand OIMC. Um, I have the opportunity to work for them. And what I love about them is like they 
the, 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 for me, it's one of the only brands that that has been able to mix with uh, success and elegance, the streetwear, uh, like uh, let's say, um, the fact that streetwear really really comfortable, uh, that feeling to not feel feel really loose when you wear something, um, mixed with the tailoring, the savoir-faire that you have in Europe. So for me, it's a it's a mix between um, the US and Europe savoir-faire uh, in terms of shapes. Uh, everything is a little bit oversized, but not too much. But the materials are amazing. Um, no logo, because at least for me, uh, wearing logo is not something I, I, I like at all. So it's a brand that is really discreet, really elegant, and, I, and, and, and that has offered a new way, a new option for menswear. That it was different than everything that brought uh, that exists at the uh, at the time, so and I think it it just um, I discovered it at the right moment in my life uh, to be able to wear it. If I were younger, maybe it was not enough, uh, you know, it doesn't show off enough, and maybe later on, maybe it's not. I will not understand uh, how to how to use it. So those two are part of my favorite ones, and. Um, and then you have, let's say, the most uh, accessible brands. For example, a brand like Muji. I love Muji. Again, more minimalist, a lot of basics, uh, basic clothes, um, really neutral in some way. But it allows the simplicity of the clothes allow you to mix it with so many things uh, that I love that they provide that. Uniqlo do it always uh, in the in the same way, but Muji has uh, something better in terms of quality of the the, the the clothes, the shapes, the choice of materials uh, are, are more interesting. The the colors um, are more muted. Uh, so yeah, I, is it those? I like that um, to be able to mix high and low. Let's say uh, so. Yeah, that's kind of my my vestiaire at the moment. Yeah. So it's speaking and speaking of highs and lows, and um, I, I see that you are very knowledgeable in um, the fashion world. And um, I was wondering if we could go back a little bit um, to how you got this knowledge. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your studies? Um, what did you study and some of those highs and lows during those, those times of study? Mm, I think the study started because uh, I was a kid in Paris. So you always look at, uh, you know, the brands, the stores, uh, you go to the department store. So mm, you see a lot of things. So, and, and you start having those knowledge of who is, what is Dior, what is Chanel um, and brands like that. So you have those big names and who is Yves Saint Laurent. Uh, you have exhibition about it. And because my mom, uh, uh, love fashion, or at least you wanted to study fashion. Um, we used to go to those exhibitions uh, uh, early on or watch movies or documentaries about it on, on, on TV. So I think that's where, let's say, the education uh, started. And later on, I was, I was saying, like when I was a teenager or uh, starting my, my, my years in, uh, in college, uh, I started buying magazines. So I used to, there is, here in France, we used to have a magazine about sneakers called Shoes Up. 
So I used to read and understand what it's the latest uh, sneakers. So it was way before the, the, the big trend of sneakers. Um, but there were super cool uh, interviews about, uh, you know, the brands, the collections. Um, it was a big one, big magazine. So you have a lot of things uh, in it. And I also started my, let's say, more, my worldwide education about fashion with uh, uh, Vogue Homme and Vogue Uomo. That was the Vogue edition for men uh, in France and, uh, and, and Italy. And those one at that moment, it was more like a Tom Ford in uh, uh, at Gucci, and you have like a, you know those those mass that's masculinity that Italian vibe, like really like uh, you know the suits really really present. So um, you start like uh, discovering those the the what was kind of menswear at, at, at that time. And, uh, and and trying to understand who are the brand, who are the designers. Um, so that was part of my education. I was not so much uh, into the blogs and street style. Uh, that came a little bit uh, l later. But yeah, the basics of the education uh, was that. And later uh, on, of course, uh, it was um, during the, the internships. So I, I did my first internship at L'Oreal in the luxury division. So... You have all the different type of brands from the luxury uh, say industry. So you discover the brands, you try to understand who, what they are, who they are, what they represent. So, you know, you understand who is Ralph Lauren, who is Victor and Rolf, who is Armani, even though you discover them in the magazine. But at that moment, you discover them through the lens of uh, perfume business. And you say, ah, okay, that's the way they do that. And then I had the opportunity to go to Lanvin. So... To Lanvin, you are Lanvin, the first uh, uh, haute couture maison uh, here in, in France, created by another woman. So it's like, okay, so that's good. That, that's cool. What does it mean? And who is Albert Elbaz, the designer at that time? I'm trying to, to understand how, how is able like, to, to continue the, you know, the history in the design process from that brand to make it uh, more modern and accurate and current, let's say. So you learn by doing, by being surrounded by, uh, by people. And, uh, and let's say the moment I learned the most was at the Institut Français de la Mode, because that's the, it's a master degree dedicated to the management, uh, luxury and fashion management. And there is the, really like the, the place when you learn the most about the industry, about the history of fashion, about sociology of uh, fashion, uh, of course, all the business, you have the brands that come to, to over there. So you have the CEOs talking to you about the, about the brands as well. You have designers that come and talk to you about how they arrive there, what rep fashion represents for them. You have the alumni that come as well, and they're already in, like, in a great position, and they tell you, okay, how, how they did it and what the industry is. Uh, so yeah, so you see there di different phases, more like the educa education from the outside world, the practice, and then really like be at the heart of the industry um, through the IFM and all that, uh, you know, all that network it, pro it provides. And, and what were some of the things that you feel that you took with you from the IFM to today? Yeah, the, the number one thing that I always talk about is the language of creation. Uh, IFM make me discover that every, uh, let's say, specialty, 
universe, mm -hmm. if you're a designer, if you work in communication, if you're a salesperson, if you're uh, in a supply chain or finance, uh, if you're an artist, everybody has a language uh, where they use a language to express what they want, to express their creativity, because in all work you have creativity. And, uh, and for me, it was disco discovering that the more language you, you understand uh, and, uh, and, and speak, like any language, the better you're going to be to have an overall view uh, of the industry, um, the better you're going to be to, to work with other people. Uh, you're going to be to navigate way more and learn way more uh, because the designer is going to talk about a dress in one way, the production department is going to talk about it in another way, the finance department is going to talk about it in another way, but we all talk about the same dress. Uh, a salesperson is going to talk about it differently as well. Mm, so it was really interesting. That, that That's the number one thing I always remember. The, the second thing I think uh, with the IFM, it's the first time that I discover as I said, that the fashion is the pulse of the world because you can, again, see fashion from an entertainment point of view, a business point of view, sociological point of view, philosophical point of view, uh, marketing point of view. So everything, uh, it's, uh, it, it's connected and all the arts are connected with it. The music, the, as we say, we talked about the image, the, crea the creation, uh, the let's say, the showmanship that exists in, uh, in fashion. So that's where I discover, I discover that, a, a 360 view of the, of the industry. And the third thing I would say that I learned from there, it's, um, it's also something that I say often, is not what you do, it's with who you do it. And that's true for every, every industry I imagine. But in the fashion industry, because we are in a, uh, industry of passionate people um, it's really the best jobs you do is the the jobs you, you're able to surround yourself with people who really want to make that uh, that project that really passionate uh, about it and uh, and sometimes the work doesn't really matter what you want it to be or surrounded from that energy and, and that's something i have uh, i've learned then and has been a red a, a thread to choose my different jobs as well that's that's interesting. The what you said it's it's um, not what you do, but who you do it with. Um, what would you say um, in your experience? What has the impact of what what has the idea of community? That idea, how has that impacted your career or your life or your work in the the fashion industry? Mm, so, what do you mean by community? Community, um, you said. Uh, it's not necessarily what you do, but who you do it with. Um, yeah. So thinking about people that you've worked with or um, even maybe being around other like-minded people, how has this impacted your... I see. So yeah, for me, it's true. It's less the community per se, but it's more the individual, as you, as you just said. And uh, it's because of industry, it's, uh, it's really small at the end of the day. Everybody knows everybody in some way. And uh, so you meet people who are interesting, that are passionate, that talk about certain type of uh, project that want to create something. And, uh, and you say, I want to be part of that. And all along my career, I've, by opportunity, chance, uh, serendipity, I have the, uh, 
I, I met those people and uh, and I said, okay, I want to be I want to be part of this. So I would say there is no one job that I have done that I didn't if I didn't have that gut feeling that something interesting was there, that the people that I were working there were were doing were working there not only because it was a job, but because there is a it was passion driven, they wanted to change something, they want to create something. If I didn't have that feeling, I would not go to those uh, those companies. So it's been something really, really strong for for me. The, the best example I have, it's um, when I went to work for Studio MTX, which is a an, uh, MTX, it's a, it's a studio that belonged to uh, Atelier Montex that does embroideries for the high fashion. And they have that studio on, on the side that it's more like a, an experimental uh, studio that use the techniques of embroideries but apply to uh, architectural design. So the customers are not the same. The size of the products are not the same because, you know, embroidery is really small, really detailed. So imagine you do that on a size of a room uh, in volume. So it was really interesting. And I, I had the opportunity to meet somebody that used to work there and was leaving the company. And, and, and she told me, okay, I think uh, this position could be interesting for you. Why don't you talk to them? And I, 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 I met uh, with the, you know, the, 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 the designer. And I love the approach, the way of thinking. And uh, it was super unique. So I stayed with them. And that same uh, designer was the, uh, later on uh, headhunted by another company. And he became the head designer for Orient Express. So the luxury train. So for embroidery. Now we are going to work for uh, a luxury train. So again, another project that's super interesting, really new, uh, how, how to rebrand, uh, you know, a legend of the <laughs> of the world, and say, yeah, I want to be part of that. So you see, one person led me to uh, two type of jobs that really different, but we we the 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 the, the common links was the passion and his vision uh, about a, every project. Wow. And so thinking about some of these different experiences, um, so MTX, Orient Express, um, um, I believe you also, you've also worked at the Bon Marché. Um, what have been maybe your biggest personal challenges uh, that you've had to confront, that you've had to confront and overcome during your time working professionally in the fashion world? Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of different challenges. Let's see if, if I can uh, try to pinpoint a few of them. Mm, I would say the first one was um, leaving the the IFM to enter the let's say the job job market. That transition was really really hard for me because um, as a student you're not prepared to enter the job market. You are they they, they give you a lot of uh, knowledge. They help you with the resume, a little bit of networking, few advice here and there. But mentally, it's really hard to discover that you, you, you're not protected. You're not in a cocoon anymore. Um, and you start applying. You, part, you did a great studies. You have a good experience. And you discover that nobody's waiting for you. There is no doors that's going to be open for you. That uh, um, Yeah, you're just one person that's graduate and 
now it's up to you to do the rest. And I think I was not at all like uh, prepared for that and um, to kind of yeah face that that moment, uh, the reality of making a, a you know a, a living like that. Um, and so I had to start working as a salesperson. I had to work in retail, and in our world, uh, retail let's say is the entry level for anybody. But in my case, because you did the master degree, you expect to start uh, directly near to the studio or as a product uh, development uh, person or retail manager. You know, you you imagine something bigger, not that the, the same entrance than everybody else. So that moment, it was really a lesson of humility uh, for me. And it forced me to be really resilient and to say, okay, I have to start here. doesn't matter because I have to make a living. Um, how can you use that experience to leverage the next one? It was not easy to kind of find, to, 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 to make the transition, but um, I think that's the first challenge, reality check. The second challenge I would say was when you start like uh, going to where, where you want to be, maybe more like an office job with, you know, different type of teams and things like that, uh, the impost, imposter syndrome was really, really strong because you see people with a lot of experience, uh, you're not used to the different processes and things like that. You, you always doubt yourself. And because of before that, you have been an intern. The first time you actually have to do the job yourself, uh, but there is no safeguard. Yes, you have a boss, but now it's you who, who does the, the job. It's you who have to manage the intern in some way. Um, so there is a lot of imposter syndrome uh, there. And it's what I call it's going from the student mindset to the professional mindset. So I had to come up with strategies to say, okay, who is that professional? Who do I want to become? And it's the notion of uh, future self also. Act as the future self, the, the, your future self. So what does it mean to be a professional? What kind of strategic mindset do you have? What kind of skills do you want to have? How do you express yourself? How do you, how do you hold yourself with, with others? So that was a, a huge challenge uh, for me. And the third one, uh, I would say it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's trusting yourself to do stuff that you've never done before. So it's a little bit like an imposter, imposter syndrome, but it's the, it's the fact that because uh, the professional choices I've made, Every time I had a job that was different from the previous one. So every time you have to readapt yourself and use things that you have learned in your previous job to help you to gain the knowledge to do the next job because it, that, they don't look the same. They have some commonalities, but they, we don't ask you the same. So every time you have to readapt about what are the KPIs, what they're expecting from you, how to be performing really fast, uh, how do you recreate your, your, let's say, your network inside the company to, uh, to know what's happening? Because every time I've changed company, not only jobs, I change companies as well. So that was also a, a, a challenge to adapt all the time and still be performant. Uh, so, yeah, those are the three main ones that uh, come to mind. Yeah, um, I remember because, I mean, at least you know, we're the, we're the same age. And when I, at least when I was graduating from 
university, I remember everyone was saying it was really difficult to get a job um, mm -hmm. and, you know, during the crisis and everybody who was looking for a job, they would have to settle for a job that was outside of what they studied just to be able to make money. And um, I remember this was, was very difficult. And so it's something that I was very thankful for in, in my university was that uh, one of our teachers said, I think 80% of you will graduate and you will not end up working in your industry. And everybody was shocked, but it was, it was, I was really happy that that teacher said that to us just because it, it was so liberating at the same time. And we, we knew like, okay, it's okay if we don't end up exactly where we think we're going to, but you know, there are different ways to get to where we want to go. Um, and so that's why I thought that that story was interesting. And then you also spoke about imposter syndrome and this idea of having to adapt and readapt. And it was a new company every single time. And it sounds to me that that's also part of becoming a professional. Um, you know, you, you just being a professional and being, having all that experience is also learning how to just keep doing new things over and over again and, and realizing that, yeah, it's, it's always going to be new. It's always going to be different. Um, so you, I want to go back a little bit to you. What are some of the things that you've learned from, uh, starting in new companies every single time you, you mentioned a few of them. Um, but what are maybe some tips or some kind of wisdoms that you've, you've taken from that experience? Yeah, just double click, double clicking on what you just said to readapt. And then that goes with the, 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 the question. I think it's, um, that notion of certainty and safety. We want to, we, you know, we want to feel safe in our job. We want to be certain of what we do or what it's expecting from us. Uh, because, you know, it's comfortable, you know, you have a autopilot and you know what to do, but because you had changed companies and you change jobs, uh, you don't really feel that. So um, you've all, if you had to become uncomfortable with the uncomfortable, uh, and from there, but you learn about resilience, of course, you know, how to trust yourself, you say, okay. What are the things I can leverage? So every time, I think that was the number one thing is like, on what I can, what can I use that I've acquired that I know I'm good at, that's going to help me uh, to, you know, build some, my skills for this uh, new position. Uh, for example, the number one thing I, I always do uh, when I arrive to a new company, it's to, to go and have meetings with uh, people. And what I do is like, okay, I look at what is my job, what is the, let's say the, the uh, yeah, what, what is my job, and who are the people in, uh, who are going to provide with information? So who are the, the, the people, let's say, uh, above me, who, no, on the side, let's say, that uh, provide information, and where that information is going to go after me? So I look on both sides. So uh, an, an example would be like, um, Okay, I work with, uh, let's say, the, the product development team. I'm going to go talk to the product development. And beyond that, oh, I'm going to talk to the designers directly. And after me, oh, I'm going to talk to the retail merchandising or the retail or the, you know, the salesperson or the communication team. So no matter where you are in the, in the job, 
look for the you know where the information comes from and where it goes because like that we go back to the language uh, of creation you understand where the information comes from how they think about that information uh, what are their needs why they provide you that information in that specific uh, way and you understand the one who you, to whom you're going to give the information you understand the needs what they want what they expect from you and what is the best way to transmit that information keeping in mind of course that uh, you have your own uh, objectives and things like that but let's say you use your empathy to understand the the flow of information i do the exact same thing about power who are the people above me and who are the people below me and uh, it's the same thing this one is not about information it's about uh yeah who's taking the information the yeah the the decisions and what do they want how they want things what do they like like that you adapt as well and you are better to you are able to work with them in a, in in a better way and below you you understand who what are the people that work for you what do they want what is the the preferences in terms of management uh what are the doubts their weaknesses so you have that overview you do that audit of your environment between information and power that's the first thing i i i do the second thing i do it's uh let's say you have 90 days 4 months to kind of prove yourself at least in france your the uh, trial period is 4 months so you say okay what are the kpis that i need to fulfill to be able like the to to be sure that i stay on the job and uh and you focus on those big rocks those big big uh, big themes for example when i was at the bon marché was uh okay i need to uh know what's happening in fashion week prepare the uh, that moment know what are the designers what kind of showrooms i want to go uh, see with the 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 buyers um what are the brands that we have in terms of partnerships uh, that i need to contact to um i need to uh, as well understand what uh, because i used to work with the communication team about some catalogs how do we do that at what time in and you know you start uh, do your retro planning in terms of what are the big rocks and so you have really you are really clear about the things you're going to focus on to be sure that those are you learn those the fastest and at the same time you know what are the you are really clear about the things that you're going to not be so good at at least at the beginning and you're okay with it and you know that the that your boss is going to say oh you're not really good at that but because you anticipated it because you did it on purpose it doesn't hurt you when you feel it you just know about it and you know that 100% of your energy is there but because those are the big rocks that's what really matters like that you have a, a good base right away everybody knows you you und- you know everybody you understand how they work you understand what it's important in the job and you know that you create your own let's say um, uh how do you say that the how to improvement how to improve during like uh improvement plan let's say you say okay i know i'm going to have to improve on that but i'm going to keep that for the let's say the next 6 months so those are the let's say three things i i always do in any type of uh company uh, and it's been really successful because that's one of the thing that people say that i integrate and adapt really fast in any company and because everybody knows you 
your bots receive a lot of feedback from a lot of people. So they say, oh, perfect. Everybody knows him. It's, he's already like uh, rolling in the job. But yeah, great. We're going to keep it. Wow. Yeah. It looks like you, you really approach starting a new job or entering into a new company or a new um, institution or community, even it could work um, with a strategic mindset and with this kind of high level um, understanding of the company ecosystem, which is, which is very interesting um, going in there. And, and it sounds like the first part is, is about relationships, but um, also that information flow that you talked about. And then the, the second part that you talked about um, was looking at the, your deliverables, those big rocks, what your, what your, um, what your goals are, your objectives. Um, that's, that's really fantastic. And so you've talked a little bit about kind of what happens, like say even operationally, strategically when you first go into a company. Um, but looking at a young person who's just starting their career and, um, or if a young person just has a dream, uh, is there any, what advice would you, would you give them or what would you like to say to them? Mm -hmm. If, if it's, it is in the fashion industry, but I think it, it's probably relevant for any industry, um, is to have a clear goal and to have a plan. And it doesn't matter if the goal is exactly what you want to do. It's because when you have a plan, it gives you a direction. It gives you like a steps to give you milestones. So it gives you momentum. You know where you're going. And along the way, you might change plan, but because you keep the momentum, you're able to adapt, leverage. And so I think that's the, the first thing. Most of people and uh, students I coach, they don't know what they want to do. So they get stuck because they want to be sure of what, where they want to go before acting. And it's the opposite because a career, you create a career by movement. You don't create a career by imagining the different milestones. Because life happens, things happen, and it's never exactly where, 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 what you want. So what matters is like to be in movement. So first, a plan and an action plan. The second thing is um, do your, what I call do your homeworks. Uh, so th those homework, it's about exactly what I, we talked earlier, knowing the industry, understanding what's happening, you know, the, the, those big themes, what are the companies, what are the people working in it, what the different jobs entails. Um, even though you don't you don't want to work, let's say in retail, it's important to understand what's happening as a as a retail person. Or if you don't want to work in finance, understand what they do. Just to have that uh, overview of things. Uh, so I think that's it's have that base of knowledge uh, of work position and industry information. The the other thing that uh, I would say the number three is the network. So that's uh, probably long-term, that's the number one investment you can do when you are young is really invest in that network. And at the same time, it's, it's exactly like a personal finance. It's compounds interest. The earlier you do, the better it's going to be. And most of us, especially when we are young, we are shy. We don't want to bother people. We don't have a network. So it takes time. We are scared. But that's the number one thing that uh, become really uh, important uh, with time. And again, the network, uh, in a, let's say advice, it's go meet people, but with generosity, 
don't look for people because they're going to do something for you. Go look for people because you want to uh, learn about them, not about their position, but who they are, what they have learned, what they have experienced, what they have overcome. Uh, and because of that, people are going to give you some advice or maybe connect you with somebody else. So the networking part, it's really, really in, in, in important. And, um, and the other one, it's, um, it's more like the mindset. It's, um, it's going to be hard. It's a really competitive industry. Uh, there is like official path and there is like, you know, other path. Sometimes we all, we, we cannot go through the door. You have to go through the basement, through the window, to the chimney, asking somebody to help us. So there is no one way to get to where you want to go. And knowing that, having that mindset, um, it's really important because especially when you are young, you are used to the school system when, yeah, you, you graduate from one year to the next year, you have your grades, everything is set up. In companies feel that is the same. You have the entry level job, then you have this and you have that. But in reality, it's never like that. You don't deserve anything. The number one advice I, I give uh, is like, you, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And so that's mean you can get to a position because you were better at negotiating it because you talked to the person because people saw who you are and it could at the same position at the same place somebody else could be there for longer than you they pay their dues but they don't they won't have the job unfortunately and you could be that person you could be in one place expecting a position and you never get it and somebody else get it for different reasons so you don't get what you deserve you get what you negotiate so that's the let's say the other piece of advice in terms of mindset uh, i will give yeah those are all great mindsets i i would even i like what you said about the the networking um go there and uh, to learn from them i and i would say at least from my experience as well is also go ready to offer something um don't because you always, of course, you're you're networking because you want something from somebody. But um, if you can be creative and find something that you can offer them, then that's just the way humans are. They'll they'll want to offer you something too, or um, maybe not. But I think it's that's just the way humans are. We we have this exchange kind of mindset going. Um, it's true, especially when you are young. One of the things that we we don't think about. Is because when you are a professional and you have been in the game for so long, you have your you're not you you don't learn as much and you're not exposed to as many things. So when you are in in school or in college, but you have all the updated learn you know knowledge. So it could be a book, a video, an interview, an article, a brand, anything that you know some maybe a professional don't know. But for the student or for the graduate, it's something just part of their life and who they are could be interesting. And it shows that you have done your homework, say, okay, you are in this position, you do this type of job here. One of two information that I think could be relevant for you. It already shows a lot about who you, what type of professional you are. And as you say, it creates that uh, reciprocity mindset from the profession and say, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on him or I'm going to give him some tips or I like that way of thinking. So I'm going to recommend him to somebody. Great. And so for just coming up here at the end here, um, I've got a few rapid 
fire questions we can try out here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see here. I've got, um, all right. You ready? It's, it's right. Okay. Um, all right. First one. Do you have to go to school to make your dreams come true? No, you don't. You can go. Yeah. You can go from anywhere. If you're able to leverage what you have done, you're able to make it. And uh, what book has changed your life? Ah, um, I think on the top of my head, it's the Ryan Holiday one. Uh, Ego is the enemy and then obstacle is the way. And uh, later, later, stillness is the key. Those three are all together. But uh, yeah, obstacle is the way. It's probably the number one. Uh, because I think I read it at a specific moment in my life when I needed to hear that and it made me discover uh, stoicism philosophy that from there becomes something like really important for me because it encapsulates a lot of my values and uh, who I want to be as a person or as a, as a professional. And, and because when I was a kid, I was passionate about Greek mythology and stoicism come from the Greeks. It was like a circle for me that, uh, you know, it helped me when I was a kid, the same philosophy or at least universe helped me when I was a, a, an adult. Um, so I would say that, uh, that, that one. It's incredible. It is full circle. Mm -hmm. All right. And the next one, uh, what one habit that has changed your life for the better? Mm, I would say um, probably waking up early because that's a family habit. And, uh, and I'm a morning person. I love the energy in the, in the morning. Um, I love that time that you have for yourself uh, in, in, in the morning. And, um, and yeah, it's like if you're able to do something for yourself in the morning, exercise, reading, or just, you know, speaking with somebody, um, you, you, you're, you already won your day. And that's what I love. You cannot have a bad day, let's say, because you already have that. Uh, for you. And what's one thing that you're thankful for? I'm thankful for um, really the life, the life I have, because it's a life full of love, full of uh, rela beautiful relationships, <laughs> beautiful relationships, uh, adventures, uh, yeah, challenging moments. But that's what the, make the spices uh, of life. Uh, so yeah, I would say life in general, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I will not change anything and, uh, I don't regret, uh, a lot in my life. And the last question, if you had to get a tattoo of words to remember, what would that tattoo say? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, of course I can go back to the obstacle is the way because Ryan Holiday has that as a tattoo. Um, ah, let's see. I would say, I would say, okay, I'm going to say the, the, the theme of my year. So done and fun. I don't know if it would be a, a permanent tattoo, but is the tattoo that should be in, on my body this year, uh, because I'm launching this new project, the podcast, the career and, uh, coaching business, um, it's been really hard to not focus to to not focus only on the results, 
And something that had helped me is that shifting that mindset, uh, done and fun. So I need to finish things that I start, but at the same time, I have to have fun with it. So now what, what I look at that is like, okay, how can I have fun? And how can I finish that, uh, you know, in the most e e efficient way? So uh, it would be the, the tattoo of the year to remind me that uh, more often. And, and I think it's a good one for even for the rest of my, my life. Uh, so I would say that. Cool. Great. Well, I like done and fun. I, I also use it. So um, it really, it does help you get to the essentials sometimes and just remember, <laughs> you know, it's not such a big deal. Let's just get this done and move on. Have fun. <laughs> it's very true. Cool. Well, thank you, Lucas, uh, for this uh, insightful conversation. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I wish you the best with all of your projects and I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks, Lala. It was a it was a lot of fun to be on the other side of the of the the mic, and uh, and yeah, thanks for making me you know think again about those uh, those trajectory and all those insightful questions, and uh, and for playing along you know with this uh, podcast project. So thank you a lot for for your time and and for your support. Thank you. And and where can you tell our listeners where they can find you online or? Yeah, the, so the project is Fashion Career Lab. And uh, so you can find me on, on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, under Fashion Career Lab uh, underscore Paris. And on LinkedIn uh, under uh, Fashion Career Lab or my name, Lucas Silva Edwards. Great. Well, thank you very much, Lucas. Take care. Thank you, Lala. See you soon. <laughs> I don't know if you felt it, but I had a lot of fun doing this interview with Lala Jonah. I have to admit, I was a little bit nervous at first. In those moments, you feel more vulnerable and want to show your, your better side. But I did my best to open up and be as real as possible in all my answers. So what are the key learnings? One, I would say the tip about what to do when you arrive in a new company. You look for the information flow and meet every person who provides you with information and the ones you give information to. Number two, remember that imposter syndrome will always be there when you start something new. However, leveraging everything you have acquired so far and acknowledging the learning curve will help you regulate your stress and your negative self-talk. Number three, keep in mind that sometimes it's not what you do but with whom you do it that matters. When you will be looking for your next professional challenge, forget the job title for a moment and use this idea to see if new opportunities come up. If you are still hearing this, thank you so much for tuning in. I know how much your time is valuable. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entitles people to listen to the show. If you have any questions, comments, or requests, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. In the next couple of weeks, I will experiment with a different type of format before launching Season 2. So please let me know what you think in the comment section. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful day. <laughs>